Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show that goes around the world finding great places for our commentators to hang out and, and comment. And we've got Cat McGuire this week from a cafe in an undisclosed location in the beautiful free state of Florida. Hey, welcome, Cat. How are you? Yeah. Hey, hi, Kevin. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so that we have the uh, mark of authenticity on this broadcast with the ambient noise around you. And I hope uh, people kind of feel like they're hanging out with you in the cafe and getting to hear your opinions uh, kind of face-to-face, which is always a better way to do it. Um, that's maybe why they want us to stay at least six feet or 6,000 miles apart. In any case, let's get going with our obligatory disclaimers before we round up the week's news. Okay, where's with disclaimer number one? Uh, question everything. We question things. It's, it's not illegal yet, quite, but they're working on it. And then the next disclaimer is that this is very disturbing material for some people. Uh, so you might want to, like, check your pacemaker if you're one of those people. And finally, uh, we are not med- medical or mental health professionals. So if we tell you to rush out there and get your Omicron booster, um, don't listen to us. Okay, let's go with the news here. What's what's the news this week? The news, you're sitting there reading the the, the news, and there's that Ukraine flag in the paper, and then uh, something's coming at you. I, I, love, I like this image, Kat. How about you? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was like, what is going on? And then I had to look in the distance. Oh, duh, a train. <laughs> yeah, it's train wreck is about to happen. That's yeah, sure. yeah, and that's that's what we do here at False Flag Weekly News is actually we let you see the train wreck coming so you're not, like, blinded from it by the stupid newspaper. Uh, whether that helps you or not, I don't know. I guess uh, how, how we get off the tracks is another question, and uh, we'll talk about that as we go through the show. Okay, where, where are our story? Oh, yeah, more more uh, PSAs. I have organized a 9-11 anniversary event this year here in the beautiful south-central Wisconsin area. Ron Unz will be speaking via Zoom, and I will be live in person at the McFarland Public Library, 6 p.m. on September 10th. That's a Saturday. And so we will be talking about which conspiracy theories are true and how do we know. I expect a bunch of Republicans to show up. I've been hanging out with, with Republicans who seem to be more open to conspiracy theories than Democrats these days, which is kind of strange. Uh, so that's the big anniversary event here in Wisconsin. And then over in the Bay Area, there is, of course, the 9-11 Truth Film Festival, which you can watch by way of uh, No Lies Radio. And there's a link you can click to find all this stuff. Just go to truthjihad.com, click on the False Flag Weekly News link, and you'll find your way to this show with uh, the top numbered links, link number two or whatever, will get you to these places. Okay. News. Let's let's. Oh, before we give you any news, though, you have to pay us to give us news. Uh, thank you, everybody, for helping make Helen Bynisky's fundraiser such a huge success last week. And uh, this week, we're still a little bit behind. So if people can help out and uh, make sure that we can keep doing this show, that would be great. So uh, first story. Thousands evacuated before implosion of twin skyscrapers. Well, thousands should have been evacuated before the implosion of those twin skyscrapers back in 2001 in New York, but they weren't. But over in India, where they actually care about human life, they evacu- they're evacuating people before they blow up the twin skyscrapers. Uh, Kat, did this story sort of remind you of something? Uh, oh, yeah. It looks for all the world like a round version of New York's Twin Towers. 
And uh, I was wondering why you selected this. I feel sorry for the people who uh, had to give up their homes and the surrounding people who had to deal with it. But what I appreciate is how um, please keep giving us more examples of controlled demolition. So when people see it, it's like, oh, and they can connect the dots. That was what we saw on 9-11. So I think that's the main reason that we're seeing this right now. Thank you for posting it. And, and these twin skyscrapers were about half the height of the towers, make, actually a little less, uh, making them similar to the height of Building 7. And it took them 12 to 15 seconds to come down after all their vertical support had been removed with uh, 8,100 pounds of explosives. So these demolitions are not as professional as the New York demolitions in 2001. It's, they're actually, these buildings are coming down about half as fast as uh, happened in the New York demolitions, which were done by real pros who knew how to get all of the vertical supports out instantly. So there was zero resistance or virtually zero resistance from the intact part of the building below the part coming down. And uh, so that, that happened over in India and people are worried about the dust just like they were in New York, but at least it won't be radioactive here. Uh, whether or not it was in New York is another question, but we'll move on from that because we have 30 stories to cover. So 9-11, of course, led to the U.S. invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq. And uh, this week, the Taliban is celebrating the one-year anniversary of the U.S. defeat in Afghanistan. They're they're really uh, quite happy about liberating their country from the forces of occupation. Who can blame them? And Lucy Morgan Edwards, our False Flag Weekly News colleague, got to address the United Nations this week uh, talking about Afghanistan. She's still a U.N.-level Afghan expert, even as as she appears on our show. Uh, shout out to Lucy. Uh, so, Kat, what do you think about the uh, anniversaries of 9-11 and the U.S. collapse in Afghanistan? Well, I'm very, very pleased with the um, U.S. out of Afghanistan, and they're able to get their country somewhat back on uh, target. Lucy did a spectacular job of detailing the needless war the U.S. waged on the Afghan people. Um, everybody really should go hear what Lucy has to say. And Lucy also said that the Russians did a very good job in their presentation. It's a two-and-a-half-hour meeting that the U.N. Security Council had. But go to see Lucy and the Russians. But basically... Um, Russia organized this and China chaired it. And what they're looking at at this point, yes, we can celebrate, but what they're asking is basically four points to stop furthering isolation of the Afghan regime and engage in dialogue and to return the Afghan central bank's 10 billion U.S. dollars, which the U.S. has, quote, retained, to lift sanctions against the Afghan people and to stop make humanitarian aid to Afghanistan conditional on women's rights, the education of girls, and other cultural woke diktats. So it was a time of celebration, but also the U.N. took it as an opportunity opportunity to say, hey, we got to get Afghanistan back up in U.S. and get your act together. Of course, I published an article in Crescent Magazine recently pointing out that really the U.S. should be paying many trillions of dollars in reparations to Afghanistan for this illegal war of aggression and destroying the country over 20 years. Uh, so people can find that article at the Crescent International website. If you use a decent search engine, you probably can find that. If you use Google, I don't know. <laughs> so we just we went through the 9/11 anniversary, the Afghan debacle university uh, anniversary. <laughs> and it's getting close to the anniversary of me leaving univer- the university. But anyway, uh, the 9/11 Truth Movement has just spent 20 years uh, basically succeeding in undermining people's faith in official narratives. I think to a certain extent, and maybe the next 
truth movement should be the COVID origins truth movement. There's all sorts of evidence that this is a bioweapon, that bioweapons professionals created it, and indeed that it was probably launched intentionally in anger in a neocon bioattack on China and Iran. Maybe they also were hoping to get rid of Trump and perhaps have it spread. I don't know. Uh, Jeffrey Sachs, the Lancet, greatest, you know, the biggest medical journal in the world, uh, is he was the chair of their COVID origins commission. And he is being increasingly outspoken about this, uh, saying that there's a huge cover up of the fact that this was made in a lab. So maybe we need a COVID origins truth movement, uh, which was my next slide. Uh, that's uh, my, my latest piece. It just went up at the UNS Review. Uh, published originally in American Free Press. So what do you think? Do we need a, a COVID origins truth movement, Kat? That is an excellent proposition, Kevin. That's really innovative. And uh, for this article, the operative word is right now. If we don't expose this crime against democracy right now, as it's happening in real time, it's going to be very hard to walk back the truth because 9-11 was like almost 20 years. Uh, JFK is 50 um, it's very hard to walk these back, and um, it, we have to do it now while it's still in the air. If we wait any longer, it's going to too easily recede from memory, and when that happens, uh, there goes any sort of real uh, resolution. A lot of the evidence gets um, burned, destroyed, lost, so now is the time. People have to get on the bandwagon, and the good thing is is that we have a whole lot more people who are on our side. Um, who know that there's something wrong far more than at the time uh, 9-11 or a JFK uh, um, false flags and lies. So, yeah, now's the time. Yep, I agree. you got to get in there while, uh, while uh, the strike while the iron is proverbially hot and so on. And we, we were a little slow with 9-11, very slow with JFK. And the JFK truth movement peaked in the mid-1990s, 30 years after that happened. And so we, we have to be a little uh, quicker on the uptake here. And with Jeffrey Sachs actually pushing for this, that's pretty amazing. Uh, I think there's actually a chance it could win. So moving on to vaccine and, and COVID containment measure news. Over at Berkeley, they think we're in a new era where everybody who's unvaccinated against flu has to wear a mask in the classrooms. Isn't this kind of like gratuitous, uh, sadistic punishment against the people who are not getting vaccinated for flu, which is actually a pretty useless vaccine anyway? Exactly. Well, you know this is a bad call when even the CEO of AstraZeneca said annual injections for healthy people is not a good use of taxpayers' money. Or maybe that was just an indirect way to say buy straight from us. But either way, he uh, said it's a bad call. Um, but just like the common cold with COVID was exploited for all it's worth, now we're getting the common flu being fair game for political grifting and gaslighting. You know, what's next? Um, I got a sty in my eye. Oh, let's call an epidemic. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. There's no logic to it. Right. As the Twitter person said, how did two weeks to crush the curve become a permanent crusade against seasonal respiratory infections in general? That's a very good question. Um, yeah. Well, more uh, vaccine-related news here. Uh, there are a couple of good stories this week pointing at the likelihood that the vaccines, the COVID mRNA vaccines in particular, have killed quite a few people. Now, what it, quite a few means, uh, there are different estimates, but all-cause mortality data in Germany is very strange. In 2020, the first year of COVID, when it should have been way high, it really was so small. There was an increase, but it was not even statistically significant. And in 2021, we see massive 
vastly statistically significant excesses of death in young and middle-aged people. Now, the total number of deaths here is still pretty small because normally there are very few deaths in these age groups. So even a few deaths raises the percentage quite a bit. But still, what's killing young, healthy people? Well, whatever it was, it had to have begun in April 2021. And it just so happens that's right when they started getting vaccinated. So this is more evidence added on to a pretty large pile that uh, these vaccines are killing quite a few people and that the medical adage, do no harm, has not been applied correctly here. Right. Well, just like with 9-11 and JFK, if we have a fair court of law or a truly um, impartial commission, we can prove all of this. It's all right there. It's just waiting to happen. But um, we can't be stifled in the courts. And um, I remember from the 60s, um, how do you pronounce it? Thalidomide. Thalidomide, right. Um, but that was just an unprecedented disaster that maimed tens of thousands of babies and the Oxycontin that we've faced. But they really can't compare to what's going on with COVID now. I don't, people aren't aware of the true statistics. Don't, don't forget Biox. Oh, yeah. Um, but there have been over 1.4 million vaccine injuries and 30,000 deaths. People just don't realize the degree because it's just so unpublicized. Um, but the evil irony, I don't know if, um, if you know it, um, is that, um, the CDC, the FDA, and the NIH are now quietly recommending ivermectin as a COVID treatment. Very quietly, but now it's in the mix. You know, they're walking back from everything, but they're not really saying it. And so we have to try to expose it, but we don't have platforms for really saying it. They're just, they're liars. And now they're trying to skulk away with their tails between their legs. So will we get deplatformed for putting in, you know, for posting the FDA recommendation for ivermectin now from on Twitter? Or is Twitter, are they keeping up with the latest recommendations? This, this whole situation is completely insane. Uh, yeah. So in any case, so the, the working age people are really getting hit now, uh, and it sure looks like it must be uh, the vaccines. There's no other obvious candidate. But in every age group, mortality was higher in the year of the vaccine than in the first year of the COVID pandemic, at least in Germany. Uh, Steve Kirsch, in this story from his Substack, uh, tells us that a whistleblower has leaked the U.S. Social Security master death file. And when you analyze that, uh, it turns out, that it looks like there's an average uh, five months lag between injection and death in those people who are dying from these vaccines, which again, so far is obviously a very small percentage of the vaccine recipients, but how small is debatable. Uh, more evidence that again, the vaccines are killing a fair number of people. Steve Kirsch thinks it's in the hundreds of thousands in the U.S. and he's presented evidence for that and nobody has succeeded in refuting it or nobody's willing to debate him. So it all looks pretty, pretty fishy. Yeah, he's been doing some slam dunk work. But um, I have to question, uh, just as the first two weeks can't be really considered indicative, why is the five-month delay any more indicative of um, who's dying? We have no idea what kind of rates we are going to see in one year, five years, or 30 years from now. So it's really a crapshoot. Okay, two weeks we know, five months we know. But really, this thing is going to be with us as an epidemic, I think, for at least this generation, the rest of their lives. Well, we, we hope that that five-month lag that Kirsch has uh, calculated applies in such a way that that means that after five months, the deaths will diminish. Uh, we certainly would hope and pray that that's the case. But, Kat, you're not convinced. 
No, not at all. I mean, look at the epidemic of cancer that supposedly came from uh, the monkey virus uh, back in uh, the 60s. Um, and now we have an ep- they don't call it an epidemic of cancer, but supposedly it was when the monkey, when the monkey, um, something was put into the vaccine, put in the polio vaccines. That's what it is. Mary's Monkey. Great book. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Edward Heslum is the author yes. of that. And that's, uh, that, that's one of the most outrageous sounding conspiracy theories that turns out to be probably true. You get into yeah. de- details with the JFK assassination link, David Ferry, JFK assassination conspirator doing crazy cancer virus experiments, planning to try to hit Fidel Castro with a cancer virus on behalf of the CIA. The whole thing sounds completely insane, but. Right. And Lee Harvey Oswald, Lee Harvey Oswald in a basement in, in uh, David Ferry's home, feeding all of these rats and taking care of them. I mean, it is such an insane story, but I believe it. Right. And then they whacked David Ferry right before he was supposed to testify to Jim Garrison. (laughs) And the cops went to his apartment and all of these cancerous injected mice were all over the place. <laughs> what a, what a yeah. story. You can't make this yeah. stuff up. Uh, Mary's like, Monkey, everybody. You got to read it. It's out of this world. Mary's Monkey. Okay. Well, that's a great read. And speaking of good book length or long reads, we have a whole bunch of them this week. Let's start with the Kissinger Continuum. Uh, this is from uh, Unlimited Hangout. Uh, and the gist of this is that Klaus Schwab and the WEF Young Global Leaders Program turns out to just be another spinoff of this old Cold War CIA program that's been grooming young people to be CIA-controlled robot leaders and take over their countries for the American or Zio-American, Anglo-Zionist bankster empire, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's what these programs do. And so it wasn't Klaus's idea. This has been going on forever. And Henry Kissinger is the guy who made Klaus Schwab for the CIA. So this is really about the CIA. This is about the Anglo-Zionist empire and its military intelligence wing trying to control the world. Right. But what's very interesting that this article pointed out is um, the CIA was trying to win the hearts and minds of young people in competition with the Soviet Union. So where do they go for their strategy? Um they created the, this organization um, on uh, to do systematic agitation and propaganda. It came straight out of Lenin's playbook because what the Soviets did is they learned that you really want to train leaders outside the normal education framework. So in 1919, they started with the Young Communist International. By 1946, they had others, including the International Union of Students. And so... Schwab modeled after Kissinger, which modeled it after the CIA. Um, the CIA was doing stuff like um, funding artists, uh, like conceptual artists like Jackson Pollock and uh, activists like Gloria Steinem. So Schwab modeled Kissinger. Kissinger modeled CIA. But the CIA directly modeled the Soviets, which is fascinating, which points to, yeah, this whole thing is totalitarian uh, communist, um, the whole thing of going after the youth. And that's what they're doing in the whole woke movement is they realize get them in the education at the university level and um, now they're going into the primary grade school to do their woke um, re-education. What's also interesting is that Schwab was initially funded by the Israeli-based Dan David Foundation of which Kissinger was a board member. So um, these infiltration projects are uh, really um, dangerous and if we look at the roots they're basically Israeli, Soviet, uh, that's all kind of Jewish. So, you know, got to look at the Jewish power angle and take note of these key influencers 
Soviets, Kissinger, and uh, the um, World Economic Forum money came straight from Jews. Um, so there, the other thing that I think is really important to say is that these global leaders are not just trained, the young global leaders, but they create a network like a club. But what's following on their footsteps is something called the global shakers, which I think actually is more dangerous than the young global leaders because these are, they're having a summit right now. The, the global shakers and the young global leaders, they're two different kind of um, training things that are right now having a summit, but it's impossible to find anything online about it. But the global shakers are 15,000 people who are under 30. It takes place in 500 cities is where they're located in 150 countries. So basically, they're the feeder bureaucracy for the young global leaders. And who are the global shakers? That's who we need to know because that's your city councilman. Um, that's that's your budding parliament member. They're the dangerous ones. The global leaders are already out there. They're famous. We know them. The global shapers. Watch out for them, the global shakers. And I take it they're not a religious spinoff like the Quakers, Shakers, Ranters, Levelers, and Luddites were back in the day. Uh, something much more nefarious is going on here. Well, okay. they're not Shakers. They're not Shakers. They're global Shapers. Oh, Shapers. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. They're, yeah. What about the global shape shifters, though? Those are coming. Yeah, next, exactly. David Ike needs to talk about that. Okay. Next, uh, next story. And that, that was a great long read. And the next good long read here is from the American Conservative which is what I think that's the one Ron Unz used to edit before he got too red-pilled even for them. But they're still not too bad sometimes. Here's Rod Dreher pointing out that Russia's already run. They've already won in Ukraine and that the Neronian ruling class is fiddling while the West burns. Well, they're not going to burn. They're going to freeze this winter, I think. Other than that, he's got a lot of things right. What do you think? Well, I thought this essay was really excellent, how it went very deep to what the rot in the West is, and that um, every sector of society that's meant to service is lying to us. So nothing new in this article for me, but it was still really well said. And I'm so glad that they had a Tucker Carlson video in there. It's a really good one. But the one thing that virtually never gets reported on who is actually program managing this global coup d'etat, who's doing all these things, people are are responding excellently and saying this, this, this had happened. But Who's running it? BlackRock owns Aladdin. Rare is the podcaster or journalist who will tell you exactly what that extremely important bit of information is and why it matters. That means, people, if you really want to know what's going on, you're getting the details here, but find out for yourself who owns BlackRock and what its intentions are. And I'll give you a hint. The CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, sits squarely on the board of trustees of the World Economic Forum. Mm, they're all kind of linked, aren't they? Uh, well, the one thing I thought was a little bit off in this story was that he offered the example of the recent sort of shooting up of the green zone by the forces of Muqtada Sadr in Baghdad as an example of the Iraq war gone wrong and things spinning out of American control. And in fact, the U.S. basically is, is funding that Muqtada movement to try to uh, spread chaos in Iraq. So, but that's a very minor quibble with a very good article. And then the next article is really good, too. Another good long read. Uh, Zoltan Pulsar of Credit Suisse, a former Federal Reserve guy, uh, wrote a long piece that then got sort of summarized by Tyler Durden over at Zero Hedge. 
And the bottom line here is that Zoltan Pozar, an establishment banker, points out that wars can't be fought with globalized supply chains and that things are getting completely out of control now. Uh, Europe and, and its natural gas crisis with energy prices 10 times what they were before this crisis is, uh, is in very serious trouble. And indeed, these global supply chains are going to be breaking down as we move deeper into this World War III uh, with the Anglo-Zionist Empire uh, trying to conquer uh, Russia, China, Iran, and anybody else who wants to be independent. I thought this was an excellent article. It definitely in the vein of um, the, um, the the great chessboard. Um, I'm not sure the book, the name of the book that Zbigniew um, yeah, Brzezinski the grand, wrote. The grand chessboard. Yes, um, it's along those lines. It was very comprehensive. Um, I enjoyed reading it really uh, quite a bit. Um, I was surprised that he didn't mention Evergrande and the potential housing crisis that is looming in China right now that could, has the possibility of being a black swan worldwide. But the main, my main takeaway is he, he laid everything out perfectly. Um, just like, um, the prior article that we read, the one, uh, Nero, um, um, Rome is burning. Uh, Nero is burning while the West is uh, aflame. I wish these people would, I wish there were a pair of glasses that you could put on and it gives you the Jewish power lens because he's, he they, never they, says, they live. That's the movie they live, right? Yes, exactly. And the problem with this whole article is, first of all, why would it be destabilized? Well, all the destabilizing is coming from the U.S., from the West unnecessarily destabilizing. Why? Well, you have to ask who is controlling the West. We are completely, the parasite has taken over the host. It's no longer the U.S. We are completely occupied now. A Zog-occupied government is what we are, Zionist-occupied government. And when you put that layer on, everything that he says takes on whole new meaning and analysis. To leave that out is to deprive this excellent work of really the crowning cap of explaining why and then coming closer to answers. So I thought it's, but nobody, nobody does it. They're all afraid of getting deplatformed. Maybe he's never even gone down the Jewish power rabbit hole. But without that, um, it, it's, it's wanting. It's like the, the 800 pound gorilla in the room and you don't talk about it. Everything else is perfect, but you're not talking about the 800 pound gorilla. Can we please start talking about Larry Fink and BlackRock and Aladdin and that that Put that in the calculus, and whole different essays will come out. I guarantee you. Okay. Well, I agree. We have to inject the JQ into the mix uh, for sure. And yet, there's a, there are ideological issues here that can't be entirely reduced to tribalism or any kind of religion, especially, uh, but maybe related to the clash between traditional religion and modernist irreligion, anti-religion, Satanism, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Alexander Dugan, as we see in the next slide, uh, was recently targeted for assassination. They murdered his daughter, Daria. And uh, the reason they killed him, I believe, is not so much that he was Putin's brain, which, no, he's not that big of an influence on Putin, but rather he's a big influence internationally. There are a lot of people reading him, especially in Europe. And his analysis is, in many ways, very compelling. Um, and his analysis is actually agreed upon by a lot of this kind of new conservative movement that's arising in the West. 
and he points out that it, this all comes from nominalism, going taking back in the, in the Middle Ages, uh, this belief that there are only individuals and no groups. And so now liberal individualism has carried that to an extreme level where now there are no, no more actual genders. The individual decides the gender. Uh, there are no, there's no more human. The individual decides whether they're human or not, and they can stick a computer chip in their brain and no longer be human, et cetera, et cetera. That's individual choice, right? That's liberty. Well, anyway, Dugan has an interesting uh, philosophy here, and he says that everybody who's on the side of the defense of the human is part of the Great Awakening and opposing the Great Reset. Now, he doesn't really get into ethnicities here, uh, and but I, I would argue that his analysis is basically correct, Kat. And I would argue that the disproportionate number of ethnically Jewish people in this Western liberal power elite is not so much the main outgrowth of, of Judaism, but rather uh, a historical process that when Europe secularized, uh, Jews were able to rise uh, in the social hierarchy. They therefore, uh, a lot of them became irreligious, became advocates of this new religion, of uh, secularized liberal progressivism based on a materialist kind of philosophy. And that's why we find them there. So I don't see it really as a Jewish religious conspiracy. And if I just had a big debate, two big debates with Adam Green about this. And uh, so anyway, those are my thoughts about uh, Dugan and what you just said. And it's your turn now. Um, this is actually, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, um, this uh, book review is my first real introduction to Alexander Dugan. And I absolutely loved everything I read in this book review. I thought it just was, that's me. That's what I'm saying. I'm an activist in what I call the freedom movement, which to me is the truth movement 2.0 um, and anti-great reset. It was like, well, when is he going to disappoint me? Everything he said was just so right on. And I think on some level it comes down to um, think for yourself. Don't be part of this collective energy. Be able to think for yourself. And Gilad Atzman has an interesting way of saying that, that um, Athens is about thinking for yourself and Jerusalem is about um, adhering to authority. And that's what I see what he is saying um, is when you think for yourself, and that's what I have found as an activist with um, all these people. He kind of could be talking about the deplorables. I'm not a conservative. I and I don't consider myself a leftist who left the left, but um, a lot of the people that I've been am, interacting with now, um, again, in Great Reset activism and um, anti-mandate activism, all would probably very much align with everything he's saying. So it, as he says, it's not right versus left, and it's not even conservative. What I call it is sort of a line in the sand. Which side are you ultimately on? And it kind of boils down to common sense. And um, I think unfortunately that um even though um it's it's not about religion and a jewish religion i think unfortunately many um J jewish power is on the side of the great reset it's definitely the intellectual brains behind woke and political identity which is the antithesis of the great awakening so even though it is not necessarily about religion I think if when we see these lines in the sand, who's on the Great Awakening and who's on the Great Reset, unfortunately, I think the numbers are going to show that um, many in Jewish power are on the Great Reset. And I personally believe they're driving it. They're 
program managing it. But everybody, I, I can't wait to read Alexander Dugan's book uh, or books. And I think everybody really should um, follow him. I'm, I'm like a completely new convert and, and um, proponent of him now. I loved everything I read. Okay. Yeah. Well, you can kind of see why the bad guys might want to target him uh, when you start looking at his ideas. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, and I agree with you, Kat, that there's definitely an element of ethnic solidarity slash ethnic nepotism involved in the, the Jewish overrepresentation in these current Western elites. Uh, and that's a big question. And, you know, and, you know, we could discuss that or we could discuss Athens and Jerusalem. I, dis- I differ with Gilad Atzman on that. I, I think that what we want is a balance of Athens and Jerusalem. That's what Western culture slash Islamic culture, which is really just two branches on the same tree, has always had. So rather than saying we want all Athens, no Jerusalem, like Gilad says, I think we want a perfect balance of both, and we need to do both of them right. Right, right. and which I may say is that we want to transcend dualism, duality, and the problem is is that the marionetteers at the top love the dualism, divide and conquer, left versus right, east versus west, Democrats versus Republican, men versus women, black versus whites. We have to transcend that. And that's why I've always said that I'm a leftist who left the left, and now I'm in this new kind of freedom movement that doesn't make me a Trumper or a conservative. I want to take the best of both and leave the rot of both behind, and from that best of both, merge and forge um, a new uh, way of being, a new a great awakening. That's a new concept for me. And I definitely am going to use it, the great awakening. I, I don't know how I missed it all this time. Yeah. Well, we've, we, you know, there's in the literature of American history, we hear about great awakenings. I think it was the 1830s was one. Uh, so maybe we'll have another and it'll go global. Um, well, uh, Dugan is, he takes a lot of heat partly because he is very strongly Russian nationalist. And so he gets blamed for things like the uh, war in Ukraine. And I think he gets blamed even more because the Russians are winning in Ukraine and there's not a darn thing that the West can do about it. And Tyler Durden here in this story on the power situation in Europe that is an electrical power with uh, power prices up, what, 10,000 percent, no, 1,000 percent, 10 times, 10 fold increase over a year. Uh, things are looking really grim right now. And it's pretty obvious that the West is going to have to back down and, and should have just had a compromise. You know, they, they, the war never had to happen. And then it could have been settled immediately in a, with, with Ukraine totally sovereign, neutral, and in possession of all of its territory except for Crimea, uh, but with limited autonomy in the Donbass, could have been settled with a guarantee of that neutrality. And uh, it didn't happen. The Minsk Accords would have fixed it. But the, the West wanted the war, and now we're losing, and it, it just was a really stupid move. The West or the people controlling? Yeah, and by um, the West, I don't mean you and me, obviously. Yeah, but I don't mean um, the Rockefellers and the Bushes, and I mean the people really controlling it. Let's look at BlackRock and Vanguard. That's who's controlling. But in any event, I feel really bad for Europe because they're on the front lines as the prototype for how these marionetteers, BlackRock, um, are trying to crush an entire continent of people. But it's hard to believe the EU leadership could not see this coming. They're either... They've either drunk the Kool-Aid of climate hoax and Russian sanctions and are generally off, caught off guard and scrambling to avoid decapitation, or they're complicit. 
because they know themselves they're not going to suffer and they're waiting for their traitorous payoffs in return for destroying their own countries. So you know how they always say the lockdowns and economic problems from COVID? No, that common cold had nothing to do with it. The dire issues were all a result of government and corporate decisions. Well, so too, planned government and corporate policies created this very predictable crisis, and only a bubblehead would believe it was Putin or climate who are to blame. I think we're like in the 1920s Germany all over again. Only now it's most of the nations of Europe that will be reduced to turning over their assets for pennies on the dollar, ultimately to the exact same people who bankrupted Germany back in the 20s. Okay. Well, this analysis of uh, the war with Russia reminds me a little bit of Scott Ritter's. He's been getting it right for quite a while there. In our next slide, we see he's also providing a trenchant analysis of the U.S.-China standoff over Taiwan. A really good in-depth background article pointing out that U.S.-Taiwan policy is supposed to be guided by these U.S.-China joint communiques from 1972 through 1982 that make it very clear that there is only one China and that lean towards Peking, obviously Beijing uh, representing it, but that the it should be resolved peacefully. So that's the the only proviso is the U.S. wants it to be resolved peacefully. But now with Pelosi going to, to Taiwan and, and this saber rattling, it seems that we're backing off from that policy and moving to a two China's policy towards support for Taiwanese independence. Well, that's a red line. That means war with China. And I think Ritter gets all of this right. Yeah, um, I saw him speak in July um, in New York, and I had no idea what a peacenik he is, somebody who comes from the military and has actually done um, a lot of work in um, arms reduction. Um, so I, every time I see him now, I know I'm going to get well, He knows what war is, and he doesn't want stupid wars. Exactly. But um, the West is stupidly scoffing at China's extreme measured response to being threatened. Um, the West did the same thing with uh, Russia and um, Iran. Russia has so many times um, Russia has been taunted by the West and Iran. They lost their beloved um, general Soleimani and all three countries have consistently shown very measured responses. Scott Ritter says it's because bottom line always go for peace and they haven't exhausted it. And so they have China, Russia and Iran have repeatedly pursued paths of peace, even though they could, I think Russia and China could easily whoop our ass because we're, we're so behind. Well, that's actually the next slide, the uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization meeting, or SCO, uh, which is forging that alliance that you're right, uh, has so much more productive power, thanks to China, so much more resources, thanks to Russia, that it's pretty formidable. Right. It's like U.S. leaders are just really ignorant warmongers, too stupid to realize we're dealing with three ancient cultures that react with emotional maturity in the face of the West. West is like a jumpy, sloppy adolescent rushing to judgment and wanting to use fisticuffs. And so I am really supportive of this SCO, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, that their focus is independent, non-hegemonic, and inclusive. Um, the article said that they were founded in 2001, and their members now of this one represent half the world's population. But there's others. We've got BRICS, and there, there's a bunch of others who are coming together. Uh, and what I found really interesting is that they're not in tight alignment like the NATO nations. I think that's a plus, because the NATO countries are in alignment by fiat, defined by a bullying hierarchy, whereas 
um, these um, these other um, the a multipolar world that is forming in these other organizations like the SEO countries, um, there's much to applaud. They have a healthy wariness of each other, but are calling for respect for each country's sovereignty and non-interference. They Each country can pursue their own grand strategies. They're more interested in regionalization than globalization. There's no single leaders. It's not the biggest bully on the block runs by runs it. It's They are run by consensus, and they want security and stability. And um, the sanctions that we did against Russia, basically stealing their $3 billion, was so huge that many countries uh, no longer feel they can rely on the U.S. or the U.S. dollar-based global financial system. And so they're creating these mechanisms to circumvent the U.S. payment transactions, which I think is great. So SEO is just one of the many non-West non-NATO organizations coming together. And this is such a positive development for the rest of the world, except for oh, poor us. us. We in the West are stuck with the hegemonic Davos New World Order, who was our direct overlords. And I hope they lose. I'd rather be at the behest of Russia, China, and all the global South multipolar than where we're at now in the West. Yeah, we need to change leadership in the West. It's going to be a tough one, though. Um, well, uh, Gorbachev gets blamed uh, in Russia uh, for busting up the former Soviet Union and bringing on the catastrophic decade of the 1990s when Russian men lost nearly a decade of life expectancy. The economy collapsed. Uh, they lost half their territory, maybe not quite half, but quite a lot of their territory, rather. And Gorbachev tried to blame Yeltsin, but... It didn't work because he didn't get the full state funeral. Putin didn't go to his funeral. And I think what people need to understand is that most of the Russian people feel this way. And so it's not it's not about Putin. Putin is actually a moderate and a peacenik compared to the average Russian who is pissed off about the destruction of his country by the lying, uh, conniving Americans and their friends. Uh, and so... Yeah, getting rid of Putin won't change a thing. Somebody, the next leader will be even uh, more militaristic, probably more angry about this and more uh, totally dedicated to making sure that it never happens again, that Russia remains fully autonomous and sovereign by hook or by crook. So I think that's, that's kind of the lesson of the funeral of Gorbachev, who was, who was just totally toasted and fetid and considered a hero in the West. Well, not so much in his homeland. Right. Yeah. He's, yeah, they're toasting and praising Gorbachev as a big hero, but he really wasn't. Um, when you think of his, um, big initiative, Glasnost, that's Russian for openness. And then when you think of Soros, his NGO movement is known as the Open Society. So the idea is to open up target nations for political penetration, cultural subversion, and economic plunder. In other words, bring them freedom, human rights, and democracy. No, it's just subversion and plunder. So, you know, was Gorby a good hearted dupe who was trying to go for freedom or did he knowingly sell out his own people for the economic pillaging of russia by mostly uh, the west and mostly uh, the jewish billionaires and putin when he finally came to four has kicked out almost all those jewish billionaires who did the vast bulk of the um um, the raping and pillaging of the uh, Russian economy in uh, cahoots with uh, Western uh, people, many of them Jewish as well. Well, no wonder Putin's being demonized. Uh, of course. And, and speaking of demonized, here in the United States, of course, Trump is being relentlessly demonized by most of the mainstream media. Uh, not Maybe not quite so much by Fox News and Breitbart, but the rest of it's pretty much reading from the same spreadsheet or whatever they say, the same talking points. Lindsey Graham is now predicting riots in the streets. I think that was last Sunday. And then Biden responded on Thursday, calling the MAGA movement, quote, 
semi-fascism. So uh, there's a polarized split uh, deepening all the time here in the United States. It's almost as if somebody is destabilizing us. Let's blame the Russians. It must be Putin's fault, right? Right. Well, neither of these stories are news. These stories are demagoguery. That's all it is. It's being enacted by puppets on both sides of the political spectrum that are controlled by the demographic that always finances both sides. And it's being publicized by the media that is owned and controlled by the demographic that always finances both sides. So this maddening quandary that we're in where you can't publicly discuss who is creating this divide and conquer uh, binary kind of you're either Republican or Democrat. It's, it's just demagoguery. And if you do talk about it, you will find yourself in the crosshairs of the demographic that finances both sides. And, and some people are in the crosshairs, and that would include some of these relatively low-level people who are getting really tough uh, prison sentences for participating in that same demonstration that you participated in, Kat, in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Joshua yes. Pruitt, a 40-year-old guy, got four years for, quote, aggravated encountering. Well, that's what I understood from this news article. It leads off by saying he stormed the Capitol and encountered Chuck Schumer and did nothing bad to Chuck, I guess just turned away or something. So he was actually sentenced for storming plus aggravated encountering. So he stormed and he encountered. Well, if he, if he had taken, you know, if he, if he had a shot at Schumer and he didn't take it, I guess he deserves four years of, of hard labor. Uh, just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, how can you have an insurrection with no guns? I mean, it's just absurd. Who would have ever thought that the United States of America would have show trials every bit as staged as the Soviet Union in the 30s or Mao's Cultural Revolution in the 60s? And these dictators marrying a tearing, this global takedown, are destroying everything America stands for as the beacon of freedom and democracy. So I get really upset because we can expect such ruthlessness from psychopaths, but it's very sad and confounding seeing the liberal left cheering on the destruction of democracy in a diluted version of destroying the village to save it. If we don't walk back from all of this right now, it's all of a piece, COVID, uh, the, the sensory, all of it is the same thing um, being run by these uh, global psychopaths. And if we don't walk back from it now, it's going to be very hard in the future. Okay. Well, we definitely would prefer to preserve some better version of democracy to such as it exists in this oligarchy, uh, if we could. And maybe that means fixing elections. Uh, I've been paying attention to the election integrity movement for decades, and the fight over what happened in the 2020 elections is, isn't over, and it's uh, really getting crazier all the time. In the next story, we see that the uh, FBI obviously played a role in throwing the election to Biden by uh, terrorizing Facebook and other social media into not distributing the Hunter Biden laptop story. We just learned this from Zuckerberg like 10 days ago or something. And now the FBI has responded by not by saying, oh, uh, this was a terrible mistake or whatever. Instead, all they said was, hey, we do this all the time. We do it routinely. Like, oh, okay. So you throw elections routinely? Um, is that the FBI's mission? Well, they've just become so tone deaf, so inured by their own behavior that they lost sight of the fact that much of the public instantly recognized their actions as um, re reprehensible political retribution far outside the FBI's official mandate. 
So, you know, who are the semi-fascists? It's interesting to see the trajectory of the FBI. Its original mission upon founding has greatly morphed. Originally, it was supposed to be crime fighting. Then we saw them focus on anti-terrorism. Then we saw them, and there still are, focusing on domestic anti-terrorism. And now they're becoming a true Gestapo secret police force. Well, you know, Ken, they, they've been political police since they were founded. They went after the Reds in the 1920s, and uh, they always tried to avoid organized crime. Uh, Hoover said there was no organized crime. They went after the, the leftists uh, and the anti-war people and the Black Panthers and so on and so forth. So this isn't really anything new. Uh, yeah, 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 you're right. But it's just become so blatant at the at the presidential level, no less, that uh, it fixated on eliminating political opponents at the actual presidential level. I guess maybe that's what seems so new. And um, word has it that the main reason, um, one of the main reasons of the Mar-a-Lago raid was to get back documents that would incriminate the FBI for all their deep state dirty tricks. But it's just such a slap in the face to our country that Hunter Biden, a degenerate criminal, is roaming around the White House. Imagine if one of Trump's sons was like Hunter, not even in the White House, but just like Hunter. That Trump would probably be in prison by now for being a bad father. I mean, it's just such a double standard. Well, I'm not sure about that part, but yeah, I agree there's a double standard. and so how about the, the next couple of what-if stories? And this is a what-if story from Tom Hartman. What if Trump's conspiracy was way bigger than we know? It was a conspiracy to realign us with Russia and other autocratic nations like Saudi Arabia, Egypt, uh, Pakistan after the coup, Libya, no, 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 wait a minute. We're already aligned with all those autocratic nations. Tom Hartman, come on, guys. This, uh, he, he, want, he, he thinks that this is all a Trump conspiracy with Putin's Russia and Orban's Hungary to overthrow democracy. Well, I, I'm not so sure about Hartman. I met him. Some people raised a whole bunch of money so I could get a face-to-face with Tom Hartman and talk to him about 9-11, and he was utterly allergic to it. And I think he's CIA, frankly. I would absolutely believe this. The cover photo that we see right here perfectly captures how unhinged this article is. It was too painful for me to even read. It is so ignorance is strength Orwellian. Um, his analysis could easily fit alongside fiction like Ukraine is kicking Putin's butt and winning the war. This guy, Tom Hartman, is so drunk on the Kool-Aid, he needs to be cut off right now. Um, will a designated driver please strap this guy in in front of a computer and force feed him regular doses of false flag weekly news until he comes to his senses? Well, we're going to have to raise a lot of money to, to get him to accept that treatment. But maybe, hey, folks, if there's a millionaire out there, we could we can dangle uh, a huge sum of money in front of Hartman's nose and see if he'll have a second face-to-face with me under those circumstances. I kind of Oh, who wants that. one? This guy is completely uh, mass psychosis formation bubblehead. He's in a bubble, and it's just I don't think he can get out. I think it's a steel bubble he's in. Okay, well, here, let's go to another what-if story. Uh, Ex-Trump, this is what if Trump has already given away sensitive info. Uh, and we could continue, you know, this is from Michael Cohen, you know, Trump's uh, former attorney who ratted him out. And, you know, well, what if? I mean, you know, what if Trump's building a Lego nuke in his basement? You know, what if he's in cahoots with the aliens from Mars attacks? Eck, eck, eck. I mean, come on, you know, these, uh, maybe they should stick with evidence-supported stuff rather than this kind of speculation. Just more idiocy. It's like the minute Trump enters the picture, these people lose all control of their prefrontal cortex. 
please, can we have a mandate? Can we mandate a vaccine for Trump derangement syndrome? You know, Trump derangement syndromes reach epidemic proportions when Trump's own lawyer is warning people that Trump may hold America well, that's hostage. That's a good idea, Kat, because, because the anti-Trump people love vaccines. Huh, yeah, exactly. And that's what we need one for. I mean, this is such an absurd accusation. I can't believe we as adults are having to listen to this. And the article completely ignores so many legal facts. For example, ex-presidents are allowed to have classified information for their own records, for their libraries. It's perfectly legal to have classified stuff. Um, I will say this, though. His lawyer got one snippet of truth right when he said, quote, Nothing that Donald Trump is doing is for the benefit of you, for me, for the American people, for this country. This is all about him. I'll agree with that. And, and it's also possible that, you know, Gordon Duff claims that he got some kind of confirmation from uh, Russians that Trump is our guy. And it could be that Trump has some cer- a certain kind of relationship with certain people and or entities in Russia. Uh, it's it's also possible that he doesn't. I don't really know. It hasn't been proven yet. But uh, this this kind of article is obviously way overboard on the TDS. Moving on to workers at work or not at work. Uh, first workers not at work stories about the quiet quitting epidemic. Uh, maybe they need a vaccine against quiet quitting. What is quiet quitting? Quiet quitting is when you stop working overtime, I guess. You stop doing more than what your boss is telling you to do. Hmm. Okay. Uh, this is like a, a viral TikTok craze. And frankly, I really wonder what it's all about. Right. Cause on the one hand, um, I'm a progressive and I support um, work-life balance, um, so doing a passive slowdown of the assembly line um, so that you only work at the level you're getting paid and anything over is unfair, unpaid labor for the capitalist. Um, so it sounds so transgressive and stick it to the man. But um, so even though I support workers' rights and work-life balance, I immediately question, why is this meme surfacing? Qui bono? Quiet quitting seems progressive, but how can it be when the liberal left educated classes are so aligned with the state and they're the ones who are going along with this? So what we have to remember is things no longer go viral organically. Um, Daryl Beatty of Revolver News recently gave a very good interview where he spoke about the entire social media landscape is controlled by the intelligence agencies. It's just one big cauldron of psyops and manipulation. So anything allowed to go viral now is purposeful. Memes are planted. So I speculate that this quiet quitting meme might be an effort to create a workforce that has no ambition or cares about personal striving for excellence. It's all part of the dumbing down of society. You'll be mediocre and be happy. And the Karens will police violators who figuratively speed up the assembly line. It's a variation of undermining merit in the workplace to create racial equity. And that's why our next story about the federal government, that's why the federal government didn't even bother uh, to monitor remote employees who are actually working or not. Well, I don't know if we should go on to this next story because maybe we should just quietly quit because we didn't raise our full two hundred dollars this week, Kat. Uh, you know, in fact, I, I, I'm thinking that instead of threatening to make cat videos, where's Muse the cat? He's he's not as as telegenic as he used to be anyway. But anyway, instead of threatening cat videos, what I'm going to threaten is that if we don't make our quotas, False Flag Weekly News will just quietly quit. And yeah, I'll, I'll come on here. I'll, I'll sit here in front of the camera for an hour, but I'll just regurgitate the mainstream stuff for an hour. Now that would be uh, <laughs> that would be cruel and unusual. I, I better not do that. Anyway, 
<laughs> well, Kevin, I've seen you fill airtime for an hour. I remember someone didn't show up. You're very good. You can bloviate a good hour, and I bet people will pay for that. Hmm. Well, okay. Kevin's bloviation hour. I'm, I'm sure that'll go viral with help from the CIA. So, uh, wholly inadequate. Uh, they, they can't monitor you if you're working for the feds. Uh, that's, that's kind of interesting. I, I would have thought that if anybody was keeping an eye on their workers, it would be the federal government. Um, but apparently not. Right. Um, why are they letting them quietly quit? Um, personally, I hope that um, the federal government agency that does a massive amounts of quiet quitting are those 88,000 new IRS agents that were hired. I hope they really slough off and not come my way. <laughs> there you but, go. but the dilemma is um, we should be demanding that our, our um, government employees are held accountable, but that puts us in this precarious situation of demanding fellow citizens be surveyed. And I was just amazed how blithely surveying people is put forth as a perfectly reasonable solution for holding workers accountable. So it's, it's really difficult because there are a lot of benefits to working remotely. We're, you and I are working remotely right now, delivering false flag weekly news. And the government so, is spying on us to make sure that we do our jobs. <laughs> yes, we're being surveyed. Um, but it, it's just kind of interesting because just as Israeli, Israel knows how to calibrate food calories to keep Palestinians in Gaza just the right amount above the starvation level. I believe the powers that be are delivering just the right amount of technological benefits to keep we the people from uprising. Yeah, I think they're probably doing that. Uh, and BlackRock is probably at the heart of it. And that's our next story. As you point out, Kat, we might need to talk more about BlackRock. Um, now, this particular story I didn't think was the most enlightening thing on BlackRock that I've ever seen because it focused on BlackRock being behind so-called woke capitalism. And the two big examples of this were divesting from fossil fuels and a continuing economic relationship with China. Now, arguably, neither of those are really BlackRock's worst sins, to say the least. BlackRock has so many sins. Um, you could take days just to di uh, di digest one of them. And this one that we're going into, this whole woke thing, I bet most people don't know that one-third of BlackRock's um, ESG, um, Energy, um, Social, and Government, or uh, uh, I can never remember what the, the ESG, that's right, isn't it? The right acronym. Well, in any event, one-third of their ESG investments are with Chinese companies. So consumer groups are waking up and warning um, U.S. states about Chinese investments, and a lot of people are fed up with BlackRock's brazen efforts to function as a private government. Um, so a lot of people think, well, like, oh, Amazon, that's like the biggest company, and Bezos is so rich. No, BlackRock, along with Vanguard, owns and controls everything because they have Aladdin. So they're a force to be reckoned with. So this whole woke agenda, that's pure Larry Fink. Just, he doesn't even have to call up the corporate leaders and say, do this, do that. They already know. So um, that's just one of their front facing tools. So on the one hand, it's so that they can get phenomenally wealthy, but it's just icing on the cake when they force the whole woke thing is a, with ESG and companies is um, a, a com it's to destroy the competition. So it's, it's all about competition. It's not about creating a, a truly more woke society. But the ultimate goal of uh, what BlackRock is doing is breaking down society in order to usher in a globalist agenda specifically controlled by the chosen people. And so woke is actually very key to everything Aladdin's doing in the whole banking realm, in the supply chains. 
it, it's a multi-pronged octopus. It's like a beyond octopus, a quadruple octopus. That's what BlackRock is, but nobody's really talking about it. And a specific example of how woke can really screw um, a country, a, a corporation, a family. Sri Lanka's recent food riots were really a color revolution, a woke revolution, based on the country following woke climate policies that were set up for failure. So that's a perfect example. They are baying their masters and totally destroy their country, and now they've been uh, reoccupied by some puppet. Well, so, BlackRock, yeah, they, they, they own just about everything, but I don't know if they have taken over the abortion bounty hunting business in Texas yet. Uh, that's our next slide. Apparently, according to this Hartman story, which, again, is a dubious source perhaps, uh, there's a new business in Texas where between uh, $10,000 and if the new law passes, a $100,000 bounty will uh, be paid to you if you can track down a woman who's trying to get an abortion. Okay, that sounds kind of like a scare story to me. But one thing that raised hackles or, you know, raised, you know, set off the, the proverbial sort of, you know, uh, alarm light on this story was it's uh, very strong uh, take against pregnancy crisis centers or crisis pregnancy centers, which offer alternatives to women uh, to abortion. And the, the way that uh, this uh, rhetoric propaganda against those centers was deployed in the story, quote, once they have lured pregnant people into the facility, they peddle misinformation, use scare tactics and shame people to discourage abortion. Well, that's uh, purple prose that could actually describe what's you know what's actually happening in these clinics maybe a lot more benign than that especially if you are one of those people who have misgivings about abortions in some, at least in many cases so anyway I, I thought this this story sounded like more Hartman scare propaganda what do you think Ed absolutely because propagandizing pregnant women works both ways. Planned Parenthood is just as manipulating of women, only from their end, it's to have women get abortions. So, um, the, and, and Hartman is saying, women are under surveillance in so many ways. Well, excuse me? What do you think contact tracing is? Uh, the unvaccinated are being tracked and traced in far greater numbers than pregnant women, as are the homeless. All kinds of people are being tracked and traced, and also far more subject to HIPAA violations. And then the author is concerned that they're collecting and selling um, pregnant women's data. Yes, that's bad, but you should be concerned about the collection and selling of all personal data. But um, women, pregnant women are actually a minor, minor demographic of whose data is being collected and sold. And on some level, forget the selling of data. The abortion agencies are selling fetus body parts, for God's sake. That's the sales that we should all be, uh, you know, screaming about. This article is just brimming with one-sided HIPAA hypocrisy. Well, Hartman's not going to start screaming about the body parts sales anytime soon. Uh, next slide. Corporate landlords are gobbling up the mobile home parks, really? The trailer parks are the latest get-rich-quick scheme for the likes of BlackRock? Well, apparently, because they're just trying to jack up everybody's rents. It's the fire sector, right? Uh, finance, insurance, real estate. That is the, the rentiers, that is the parasites who run the whole system and milk value out of it without actually producing anything. So now they're coming for your trailer park. Um, apparently our producer Alan has fought them back and he's still uh, happily ensconced in his relatively reasonable trailer park in the San Francisco Bay Area. But a lot of folks around the country are not so lucky. Um, well, this article used an interesting uh, uh, quote or, or turn of phrase that the vulture capitalists are pushing into these new segments of the real estate market as they, quote, hunt for yield. 
hunt for yield. That's just a fancy way to say they are now skulking the poorest of the poor, scrounging the bottom of the barrel, figuratively tearing out the copper wiring. Imagine if that were your MO for financial success, tearing out the copper wiring as you go for the bottom of the barrel. These people are vultures and they need to be exposed. That's right. And, and they're kind of tearing out the copper wiring from the earth itself in a certain sense. The earth is uh, definitely messed up. Personally, I think the carbon dribble global warming theory looks to me to actually be stronger than its uh, critics say. But um, I don't know enough to be sure. I've looked at some of both sides. In any case, we are seeing some quite uh, horrific uh, meteorological events like the floods in Pakistan. One third of Pakistan is now underwater. And this is partly because of the the weather, which, of course, we're told that warm air holds more moisture. That might be part of it. But a, a major part of this also is that Pakistan's mountains have more glacial ice than anywhere in the world except for the poles. And so that's melting. The rivers are flooding as the rain is coming down. And it's really uh, terrible what's going on right now in Pakistan. And so... I don't know. I, I think people need to be open-minded about the scientific uh, evidence and, and the scientific debate and, and conversation on this topic. And whatever comes out of that, I'm not right. I'm not really sure whether the problem is uh, solvable. Uh, what do you think, Kat? Um, well, what the article is focusing on, what we're constantly being made to focus on, is the climate. So they get this Brown uh, University um, Earth Sciences professor and. Um, this is super consistent with what we expect in the future. But they actually came out and said that they need time to conduct attribution studies to understand. Well, how can he be spouting off like that when they haven't even conducted the studies? And the report further says that this monsoon season, um, it, it, rainfall in Pakistan has been nearly three times the national average for the past 30 years. Well, three times is not that much, nor is 30 years when you consider in weather 100-year cycles, but it's all climate, climate, well, I, climate. I think for monsoon areas, three times is quite a bit. Well, it's all climate, climate, climate. What they're not saying, they have this one line, the challenge of preparing for more intense rain is complicated by persistent political instability in Pakistan. Well, that's what's really going on. People can't control their own environments. Imran Khan is now has been forced out, is now facing terrorist charges. Another CIA coup. Yeah, exactly. If they leave people alone and let them solve their own problems, now they're trying to make this whole area a climate thing. It's all just climate, climate. It's all... Well, our uh, next story is climate, climate, too. That's the... Uh, report from The Guardian that a 10-inch sea level rise from ice cap melting is now inevitable. Quote, whether it's coming in 100 years or 150 years, it's coming. But it might be more than 10 inches. Uh, so how alarmist is this? Um, I think it's very alarmist. Um, they're doing with uh, climate. Cli COVID is winding down now as the primary catastrophe hoax. So now climate is positioning itself up finally to take uh, over what it is. But, you know, I don't know enough about the climate science at this point to be able to assess whether the science in, in, in this article are as full of hogwash as the COVID doctors they trotted out to us as the experts. Um, I know it's not an informed position, but I'm going to wait and hear alternative uh, uh, climate scientists. They're already there. I just I don't trust any of these scientists anymore because they trotted out COVID hogwash yeah. experts. Yeah, there's actually a, there is a comparison to be made there uh, with both cases, COVID and climate science. There yes. is a uh, there's a real debate about which cures might be worse than the disease. And so that's something that we should probably uh, keep in mind. Well, moving on to outer space, the last uh, place to go if you're trying to escape catastrophe on Earth, 
you won't get anywhere if you're on the Orion. Well, maybe you will because they, they had to cancel the launch last week and then they rescheduled it for yesterday and it couldn't go because of fuel problems. And this morning there have been more fuel problems. And so theoretically, last I heard, they hadn't yet blasted off. And 2.17 p.m. Eastern time today, Saturday, is the limit of the window of opportunity for blasting off the Orion. Uh, what do you think, Kat? Do you, we're, we're taking bets. No, just kidding. But seriously, will, will the Orion blast off on time or not? Uh, my concern is not only is NASA not landing astronauts on the moon, they're not even landing the spacecraft on the moon. Um, That's right, they're going COVID, around the moon. Yeah, uh, yeah right. Since COVID, there's been, it's just opened the floodgates for truth. People are more receptive to the big lies. And I think one of the biggest lies is the moon landing of the 1969 Apollo mission. And if we can get that, people are going to have to ask, well, wait a minute, in 50 years, the technology hasn't improved. It's like we've gone backwards. They can't even get the Artemis engine straight. You know, where's a paperclip German scientist when you need them? Um, and also on that first one, successful first attempts of any scientific endeavor are statistically impossible. It takes hundreds of tries, yet we're supposed to believe the first time out NASA successfully sent a rickety rocket in space past the highly radioactive Van Allen belts and had men riding, uh, walking on the moon. If it was so successful, why has it never been repeated? And this Apollo, uh, why did NASA destroy all the Apollo documentation? They could probably use it now if it was so successful to get this stupid Artemis engine going. Fool me once. Yeah, well, if people are interested in looking at the moon landing skeptic perspective in the documentary, check out the film American Moon by Massimo Masuko, uh, who also did a good film on 9-11. All right, well, blast off, head for space, get away from the disasters on Earth. Um, but guess what? Space is full of uh, intelligent life, apparently, according to the U.S. Congress anyway. Congress has now officially gone on the record saying that not all UFOs are, quote-unquote, man-made. They're referring to things that fly hundreds of times the top physically possible speed of material objects that we know of and do so not only through the air but through the water as well, caught on radar doing so, things like that. And so the Senate says cross-domain transmedium threats to the U.S. national security are expanding exponentially, and it cites these UFOs, and they have some new acronym that I'm not going to use because it's too politically correct, like the gender acronyms and pronouns. Uh, I thought this was a really interesting article, Kat. It even referenced uh, true conspiracy theories like the Kennedy assassination and the Vietnam POW-MIA issue as examples of paradigm shifts that just can't happen because it would freak people out too much to know the truth. And we're being told by Ron Marks, the CIA's liaison to Congress on the UFO issue, that that's the case with the UFO issue as well. Um, yeah, I thought it, um, it put a lot of um, items there so that we can actually discuss it. One scientist even said we should be open-minded because we may not be the smartest kid on our cosmic block. Well, one perfect example of not being the smartest kid on the block is the oxymoron of having Adam Schiff as chairman of the Intelligence Committee. Talk about an oxymoron. <laughs> and that's a great oxymoron to end the show on. Well, thank you so much, Cat uh, McGuire. I enjoy your trenchant, acerbic commentary. And anybody who, who appreciates this kind of commentary should help us make that $200 fundraiser just to show us how much you love Cat. Uh, and so I don't have to uh, do my filibuster thing, uh, echoing mainstream talking points for an hour. All right. Uh, take care, Cat. Enjoy your time in beautiful Florida. And okay. I'll see you all next week, God willing. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks.